We're going to make it our home someday. Praise God. What a beautiful song that was. I'm glad you're here this morning and able-bodied and willing to be in God's house. Today is Sunday, August 7th, 2022, where the time has gone. We've been in this sermon series since January. Now, we've had some times we've not had services. It's been postponed to cover a couple of different topics, but we are here today where we're looking at part three of the story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. The story about a man who was born in England in 1748 by the name of Timothy Dexter. He ended up becoming, through his life, a successful export businessman. And even though he really didn't have any formal education uh, throughout his young life, he wrote a book at age 50 entitled, A Pickle for the Knowing Ones or Plain Truths in a Homespun Dress. Whatever that means. What a, anyway, what a weird title for a book. It was very, almost indecipherable for the lack of punctuation in the book, but yet it became popular. It was so popular it was reprinted in eight different editions. One day he wondered, he got to wonder what people might think, what they might think of him or say about him after he passed away in what he called the great beyond. So he made the announcement of his own death. 3,000 people came to his funeral. But apparently, Timothy Dexter became enraged when he'd seen what was going on. One person out of all those people who wasn't showing the proper mourning he thought they should have shown, it was his own wife. So therefore, he decided not to give his grand surprise appearance to his wake because of his wife's lack of mourning for his her husband's death, whom he was faking. So he proceeded later on to beat his wife with a cane. So that's the ending of the story. Okay, why am I talking about this? Well, we're talking about a, a, a funeral. Now we're talking about not only just this man's funeral, we're talking about a more important funeral we're going to talk about today. A scene at another funeral. One that was very real because this person was actually dead, okay? Many were gathered at the morning, four days to be exact, this man's morning, when Jesus, who didn't make a surprise appearance, they were expecting him to come. He finally makes it to his destination along with his fellow Jews. Only he didn't come just to mourn, but he was going to do something about that morning and not mourning as in day. They're actual weeping, they're mourning. Not by beating anyone, but by restoring life. Today, we're, as we are concluding our series, Jesus the Way, encouraging your faith every day. We've been looking at the seven sign miracles throughout the Apostle John's Gospel, okay? This is, like I said a moment ago, this is the third Sunday. This is part three in what is probably the best well-known of the, the miracles Jesus performed the raising of Lazarus from the dead. Now, last Sunday, we looked at Jesus on his way to the tomb of the deceased Lazarus, the encounters he had with his sisters Martha and Mary. Now we've reached the climactic ending of this story 
as Jesus has reached his destination. If you want to follow along in your Bibles, it's John chapter 11. John chapter 11, and we're looking at verses 38 through 44. John chapter 11, verses 38 through uh, 44. Beginning in verse 38 through 40. Let's look at it. So Jesus, again being deeply moved within, came to the tomb. Now it was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, Remove the stone. Shh. Remove, pardon me, remove the stone. Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her in verse 40, did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Now, here's how it's being set up, okay? Very quite simply, Jesus has made it to his destination. He's made it to the deceased Lazarus who's lying in the tomb for four entire days. Jesus doesn't say anything he, at all at, when he first walk, approaches and all the Jews are watching him. He doesn't ask any questions as he sees them mourning. How did it happen? Why did it happen? Where did it happen? He didn't ask any of that. Despite what this verse said, we talked about last Sunday, that Jesus was deeply moved in spirit and that he was troubled. Remember, remember what we talked about last Sunday? He was deeply moved in spirit. He was angry, okay, about what death does, what it represents, and that the, and that the people were still in mourning. However, Jesus was about to show all the multitude here that death isn't the end of our story at all. And showing he, that he had not only the authority, but he had the power to do something about it. And that was going to be in the end result of raising Lazarus. It's as if Jesus was letting everyone know, if I can turn the water to wine, if I can heal the nobleman's son, if I can allow the lame man to walk again, if I can feed the 5,000, if I can walk on water, if I can give sight to the blind, what makes you think I can't raise this man from the dead? He did all those other. I just listed all seven sign miracles just then. The previous six. We're on the seventh one now. So what did Jesus say? What did he say? He didn't say anything else but what? Remove the stone. Remove the stone. Now, I'm sure Mary and the rest of them were bewildered. You know, what? He wants to remove the stone? You know, um, why would he command such a thing? Because Martha, what did, he tell, what did she tell Jesus? There would be a stench from Lazarus being in there four days. I like what the King James Bible says. By this time, he stinketh. <laughs> By this time, he stinketh. That was the, I like that interpretation. He stinks. Jesus. He's been in the tomb four days under this hot Palestinian sun. Baking in here for four days. You know this man had to smell. Not like... Underarm, excuse me, underarm smell. No, no, this was much worse. Decomposition of the body was already happening very quickly. Perhaps one uh, commentator said perhaps his opinion was the people thought Jesus was actually wanting to go in to say his final goodbyes to Lazarus. I don't believe that, you may think different, but that they may not have as a whole believed Jesus was actually going to do something right here. They believed they probably, Jesus was just coming to say goodbye to a, a lost, to a dead loved one. 
but boy, did Jesus have so much more in mind. Jesus was completely capable, though, even though they had lack of faith as a whole, that Jesus was just going to just make an appearance, say a few words, and go about his business. Jesus didn't have to have their faith whatsoever to perform the greatest miracle that Jesus would perform in his earthly ministry. Because remember what the Bible says? I thought of it this morning. I was looking over this again. God is faithful even when we're faithless. Amen? God is faithful even when we are faithless. Jesus wasn't here just to look at Lazarus one more time and say his goodbyes. Remember what he said in verse 40? Did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Okay? But if they didn't believe, they would not see God's glory being performed here. What they were going to see, they would see and they'd be happy with it. But now let's look at the prayer of Jesus. This is the prayer right before the main event of this story. Verses 41 and 42. So they did as Jesus said, they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but because of the people standing around, I said it so that they may believe that you sent me. We were just discussing a moment ago about that word faith, about Mary and Martha's faith. What a step of faith it would take just to open that stone. Jesus he stinks. He stinketh. You want me to open the stone? Okay, I'm going to open the stone. That was the first step of faith, of obedience. They listened to what Jesus had commanded. Remember, Jesus compelled them to act on what faith they had. Jesus gave her a promise. What did he promise in verse 40? That if you believe, you will see the glory of God, okay? He drew attention to himself. He called on Martha to confess her faith, and he called her to act on her faith. And God does the exact same for you and you listening out there and for me as well, okay? He's given us promise after promise in Scripture. Now, how does he draw attention to himself? You ever wonder that? How does God draw attention to himself? Well, many times it's through the actions. Listen to this. It's through the actions of his children. That's how God draws attention to himself. It's through the actions of you and me, all right? Many times through our actions that can be seen and observed when we confess our faith through our own actions, all right? What is faith? The, the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, all right? People have got the wrong idea of what faith is today. Many times, faith, many times, and even Christians get this wrong idea about faith, that it's just a positive way of thinking. If they'll say to themselves over and over again about something that they want God to do, I think God can, I think God can, I think God can, I think God can. And if they say it loud enough and long enough, God's going to actually do it. That is not faith, that is presumption. Okay, that is presumption. He is not the little engine or the big engine that could. God can and will act according to his perfect will. But that is not what faith is. That is just a positive way of thinking. That is assumption, not faith. You want to know a great definition of faith? I wanted you to know it so much that I had Daniel put it on the screen. Faith is believing and trusting in what God has said and promised and then acting accordingly. 
That is what faith is, okay? Here on a rare occasion, John says Jesus made his prayers very public, all right? Jesus was very confident in his relationship with his heavenly Father. If you read throughout the, all the Gospels, the different accounts, many times Jesus would sneak away privately. What would he do? He would sneak away in private so he could have time to pray with his heavenly Father. He, uh, one time in Mark, he, snuck, he got up real early in the morning. Why did he do that? So he could have time for prayer with his heavenly Father. He made it a priority. Very private, but here it was very public. John made that known, that it was very public. Here his public prayer was for Martha, Mary, and all of the fellow Jews. The power of his prayer that was rooted in private, well, that was rooted in the private prayers in times of Jesus. It all came from his private prayer, now may and made public. One commentator said, No pomp of incantation, no wrestling in prayer, but simple words of thanksgiving as if Lazarus had already returned. That's what it was like. That's exactly what was about to happen. It's taken us three Sundays. This is kind of funny. It's taken three Sundays to get to these two next verses. Kudos. It took a while to get here. We're here. Here it is. Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Verses 43 and 44. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth, he said. The man who had died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Unbind him and let him go. Three simple words. Lazarus was on his way out of that tomb with a loud voice. Why did he shout it with a loud voice? Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus, come forth. Why did he shout it? Was it because that way his voice could penetrate through the cave so Lazarus could heal him? Not at all. Not whatsoever. Jesus was demonstrating his full authority here. Lazarus, come forth, he said. Remember in John 5, 28, Jesus said that all who are in the tombs, their graves will hear, hear his voice. That's what he said. When is that? When is that time going to happen? The Apostle Paul shed some light on that in some tremendous verses in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Famous verses, verses 14 and in verses 16 and 17. What did he say to the church of Thessalonica? For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so will God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For the, skip to verse 16. For the Lord himself would descend from heaven with a shout, hear there, with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up, harpazo, rapturo, raptured, snatched away, caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. That's when that time is going to happen. Amen. I love those verses. There is a future time coming for all of us believers. Even though Lazarus was, Lazarus was raised from the dead, guess what was going to happen to Lazarus? Eventually, he was going to die again, wasn't he? Every person Jesus ever brought, resuscitated, brought back to life, he didn't resurrect them, 
there is a res resurrection still yet to come. He just res resuscitated them. Every one of them he did that to, they died again, didn't they? They had to die again. This time he was resuscitated. I said, one day Lazarus will be resurrected. One day we will as well. We're going to be resurrected. The text says Lazarus came forth out of that grave. And that Jesus was probably telling death, you know what, death, one day I'm going to conquer you. One day I'm going to put you beneath my feet and I'm going to smash the living daylights out of you. I'm going to conquer death once and for all. Only Jesus, the one and only begotten Son of God, could make such a declaration right there. But because unlike Lazarus, who was unbound, and Jesus said unbind him and let him go from all those grave clothes, all those wrappings, one day he was going to need them again. Unlike Lazarus, Jesus Christ would need them only one time and he would leave them in that empty tomb on that Easter Sunday morning never to ever have to use them again. Amen? He would never ever have to use those wrappings again. I find it inter interesting in this story that Jesus just didn't miraculously remove the grave clothes. Why did he not just go up himself after he did this wonderful miraculous sign? and start unwrapping his loved friend Lazarus from head to toe. Why did he not do it? Why did he tell the others, his fellow Jews, to do it? Why did he give them instruction? Well, we kind of talked about it this morning in Sunday school, about a team, team effort, okay? Jesus did what only God could do, raise somebody from the dead. However, he looked for man's cooperation, didn't he? Man's cooperation for Lazarus's deliverance to be completed. Nothing has changed at all in 2,000 years at all. God left us here on this earth for one reason, the most important reason he left you and I here. And what is that to do? To fulfill the Great Commission, to make, go out and make disciples of all nations. But first, what do you have to do? You've got to tell them the good news about what Jesus did for you. That what Jesus did in that old rugged cross died a horrific death. And three days later, conquering death, being raised from the dead, and you have an opportunity for your sins to be washed away in the blood of the Lamb. Then you reach people for Christ, and then you make disciples. That's why he left us here. It's our job as Christians. It ain't God's job. God could do it. He really doesn't need us, but as obedient, loving children that we should be to our Heavenly Father, he's left us with that one responsibility, the one and only true message. Then we let the Holy Spirit take care of the rest. There is no I in team. God could do all of it, but it's a team effort. God at the center of the team and his children surrounding. Here it is on the screen. It's a team effort. God's mercy and our cooperation. That's what it's all about. God's mercy and our cooperation. Charles Spurgeon said, What a man can do himself God will not do for him. And what a Christian people can do for sinners, they must not expect the Lord to do. They must work themselves according to the ability God has given them, up to the point of possibility. And then they may look for divine interposition. So true that is. Now, it's a wonderful story. I could stop right now just we could leave it at that but i'm not going to i'm gonna i'm gonna leave you dry what is 
the one main point from today's passage. And I could have come up with anything, but I'm going to go off of what a six-year-old little girl from a Sunday school lesson was asked. What do you get out of the story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead? Her name was Molly May. She was asked that question. This is what she said, and she hit the nail on the head when she said, God can rescue us from yucky darkness. God can rescue us from yucky darkness. A six-year-old little girl. Darkness can be yucky, even for a little child, a little six-year-old girl. Grace and Isabella claim they're afraid of the dark. Imagine that. What kid has not said they're afraid of the dark? Hallway light will be on, bathroom light, bedroom light. Looks like Christmas or the 4th of July in the house. Turn them lights off. Well, I'm scared. Isabella, I'm scared. Although a few minutes earlier, she would go to her room by herself in the dark to retrieve something, but won't go back to put it back because she's afraid of the dark. It can be scary for little kids' darkness. It can be yucky, if you will, to kids. And so can it be for adults as well darkness can and is very yucky because it represents everything that god is absolutely opposed to okay financial troubles relationship problems in your family your close friends or your job persecutions for standing for conservative values christian standing for christian values we have violence we have murders, personal illness to you, a loved one, or a co-worker, or a close friend, disease, famine, death, on and on and on I can go. Very depressing, isn't it? All those things under the, under the realm of darkness, all as a result of sin and living in a fallen world. Even though we as Christians, we've been promised eternal life, haven't we, amen? We have been promised eternal life after we take our last breath, free from loneliness, free from sickness, from disease, from death. But even though we aren't of this world, the Bible teaches, and we know this just as well as anyone else, we are still in this world, okay? A world filled with darkness. And the ultimate goal of Satan Satan's darkness is death, hopefully keeping you separated from the one and only true loving and living God forever and ever. That's why he is on such a rampage to keep people from learning the truth of God's word and accepting Christ as Savior so they can spend eternity in hell where he's ultimately going to end up. But guess what? We don't have to fear the darkness. Colossians 1.13, Paul says, For he rescued us from the domain of darkness, and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. The Bible teaches that death belongs to the domain of darkness. It's, it's part of God's original plan, that death came into existence through sin. Who was that? Adam and Eve, all right? Romans 5, 12. Therefore, just as through one man's sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to whom? It spread to all men because all have sinned. We have all, the Bible teaches, sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And because of that, Paul teaches in Romans 6, 23, the, the payment, the wages of sin is what? 
death. It is death. But Jesus said he is the resurrection and the life. He proved it when he raised Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus came walking out, if you will, out of, you will, the yuckiness of darkness from that tomb. However, he would eventually, I said earlier, he would die again, but it, would, it will only be a temporary death, okay? The same is true for all of us who have trusted in Christ as Savior because three days after Christ's crucifixion and death, he arose from that grave, proving once and for all death and darkness have no power over him. It has no power over us. Isn't that a wonderful truth? Amen to that. Now, in the closing, I'm going to tell you a story about a girl who was standing on a high building on a rooftop after finding out that her husband had been unfaithful to her. She wanted to end it all. She wanted to take her own life. After a short hesitation, she made the step forward. The girl fell fast towards the ground, coming down at lightning speed. But just before the death, the fear filled her soul. Suddenly, she felt like some, someone had grabbed her and embraced her. She opened her eyes, and to her surprise, she saw an angel who was holding her in his hands. Why didn't you let me fall, she asked with anger. I will let you go if you agree to die, understanding that there won't be any memories of you left on earth at all. How is that, the girl said, asked in surprise. The angel said, you don't have any children who would remember you. Your mother is old and she will die soon. And everyone else, they will forget about you soon. And my husband, she asks, he will blame himself for my death. If he will feel remorse all his life, he will remember me. The angel said, that's not going to happen. He doesn't love you. He is happy with another woman. And he won't blame himself for a long time. Soon, he will forget all about you. Fine, I believe you, she says. But I have things. I have photographs. Your apartment will, will burn down after one year. And all your things will turn to ash, he told her. But, but my friends have photos of me. You don't have any friends, he said. The angel said with, with quite coldness. But I'm on the collective school photo, she said. Suddenly the angel started to loosen up his grip on her and let her fall the rest of the way down. You're letting me go, finally, because I proved to you that there will be memories of me left. She asked in a mocking tone. No, he said, not at all. You are clinging to the strings so hard. You are convincing me that I would let you die, just like others are clinging to some futile opportunities they might have so that they could live. I don't want to spend these moments with you, he said, the angel said, because I could help other people during that time. I want to give people a chance to live, not to die. Literally, to live and not to die. What did Jesus say in John 5, 24? Remember this, if you don't remember anything else, remember this verse. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my words and believes in him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment just like Lazarus, but he has passed. And one day we will pass our death into life. What a wonderful promise. We're going to pass from death unto 
eternal life. Amen and amen. Let's bow together in prayer. Couldn't be any more clear what Jesus said. Believe in me, you will have eternal life. We are all, the Bible teaches, we're all going to die one day. It is important for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, the Bible says. Unless the rapture happens where the church is caught up, taken away out of this world, and the last seven years of earth's history begins. Unless that happens first, either he's coming or we're going. But one day we're going to leave this earth. But it doesn't, we, we only have to die death, die death one time. There is a second death for those who have not chosen Christ and said, I don't need your forgiveness, God. I don't need your, the blood of your son, Jesus. I can find my own way. Well, those people are not going to find their way because they had an opportunity while they were still alive on this earth. And the Bible teaches they will be judged at the great white throne judgment and die a second death in the lake of fire, being tormented day and night forever and ever. Don't be one of those people. If God's Holy Spirit is talking to you this morning, telling you you are a sinner and you are in need of Jesus, He is the one and only true way to heaven. Don't hold it off. The enemy Satan is going to tell you what's your hurry. You don't have to do it right now. Enjoy life right now, what the world has to offer. As I said this morning, what is the world offering? Darkness, sin, which, lead, which all breaks down to despair and every other problem there is. Total darkness if you are not a follower of Christ. You can make that decision right now. If God's Holy Spirit is working on you and you know that you're at the end of your rope and there's no other way except the one and only true way, that's through God's one and only Son, begotten Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. You can say this simple prayer of faith with me right now, silently in your heart or out loud, knowing God is listening and waiting with open arms to accept you as one of His children. Say this prayer with me. Dear God, I want to thank you for loving me. And I know and I understand that I am a sinner and I'm truly sorry for those sins in my life. But I believe what I heard today that you loved me so much. You sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for my sins. Jesus who took the punishment that I deserved for those sins in my life and I'm trusting in what Christ and Christ alone did on an old rugged cross to save me of my sins. God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for forgiving me. And right now I am praying you will help me spend the rest of my life serving you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. And if you prayed that prayer and you really meant it with all your heart, you are now a child of God, no longer do you have to be overwhelmed with darkness and death? We're going to experience a physical death because of sin that Adam and Eve committed in the beginning, the fall in Genesis chapter 3. But guess what? It's only temporary, as I talked about earlier. One day there's a great resurrection coming because Jesus, on that Easter Sunday morning 2,000 years ago, 
conquered death once and once for all. Satan knew he was a defeated foe right at that moment. But yet he's still trying to keep people away from the truth of the one and only living God out there. You are now a child of God. The first thing you better do is give a testimony. You better tell everyone because it's so important because this world is coming to a close. I don't know when it is. I'm not putting a date out there because I don't have no clue whatsoever. Only the Father in heaven knows whenever the end of this world is coming. Tell everyone about what Jesus just did for you to a family member, a close friend, a co-worker, because they need to hear the same thing you heard that brought you to the foot of the cross. They need to hear of what Jesus did for all of humanity, not the, just the elect. He did it for the sins of the entire world. He suffered a horrific death that no one else will ever suffer. And he did it all for you. He did it for me. He did it for those sitting here this morning so that we can have that chance of that free gift, the one and only thing that is truly free in this world, the gift, the free gift of salvation. Tell everyone about what Jesus did just did for you. And by doing so, you're being an obedient child of God. God's using you. It's a team effort. God's mercy and our obedience. You're planting the seed and watering it down for that family member, that loved one, that the Holy Spirit could work on, that they could bring them into faith in Jesus Christ as well. Saving them from a, a second death, a lake of fire separated from their loved ones who've been on a goal with Jesus, separated from God forever and ever. Tell everyone of what Jesus did, but don't stop, stop there. You need other team members. You need other fellow Christians. How do you do that? You get into the local Bible-believing church that teaches the whole counsel of God's Word. I left my Bible in the pew. Please forgive me. I usually have it. Pretend I have it in my hand right now. Get into a Bible-believing church that teaches the whole counsel of God's Word from Genesis to the maps. They don't cherry-pick Scripture and try to pick out Scripture, what makes you feel good today, or prosperity preaching. They teach the whole counsel of God's Word, and they teach about that one word we talked about this morning, reason there's total darkness in this world. S-I-N. They teach about sin and what sin has done to corrupt and infest and infect every little thing in this world, even the foundational building blocks the Bible teaches that one day will have to be destroyed by fervent heat because they've been tainted with sin. Make sure they're teaching the whole counsel of God's Word and about sin. Just like this church, we teach the whole counsel of God's Word here at Pleasant View Missionary Baptist. Our information is on our Facebook page or on our website, pvbaptistchurch.org, where we have multitude of sermons. Our statement of faith is out there. We have many things we're trying to do for outreach. Events coming up here in the next couple of months. Check us out. Daniel will be having those things up here in the next several weeks of what we're going to be trying to do, not just to reach people in the community here, but also just to edify the church, to help teach the church. Let them know that even the little churches, not the big mega churches, they're doing their thing, and God bless them for what they're doing. But little churches, hey, we're still here. We're still preaching God's word. We welcome anyone and everyone who loves Jesus Christ into this church. We welcome you and any loved one you want to bring that needs to hear the truth of God's word. And if you can't get into this church, get into another Bible-believing church that teaches the whole counsel of God's word. Father in heaven, I pray to you this morning that no one who has heard this invitation 
of, of salvation or any other great teacher of faith out there, a teacher of God's word that has put out that invitation of salvation, I pray that no one would resist that call and not listen to the enemy and make, take that simple step of faith to accept Christ as Savior for the forgiveness of their sins. I pray they'll do that. And I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.